0: Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White.
1: We're at 1 Thessalonians, and the, the verse we're focusing on this morning is verse 10. And it just simply says, And to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And it says to wait for his son. Have you ever had to wait up for anybody? I, I know that that used to happen to us all the time. You know, I, um, I got a message that Christopher was coming home from Germany, and his mother didn't know that. Uh, and so we're trying to keep this thing a whole secrecy, so we didn't tell anybody what was going on. But I was on needles and pins. she It's just a regular night for her. But I was on needles and pins. Is that the car? Is that the car? Is that the car? I was waiting up. You know what I'm saying? I did the same thing at Christmas time. I was waiting for my cousins to get there. I couldn't wait for the cousins. We only saw them once a year. And getting to see them once a year, you wanted to wait up. And mom and dad said, no, 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 go to bed. They won't be here for hours. Yet. Hours doesn't mean anything when you're waiting up for somebody. You know what I'm saying? You want that to happen. That's the enthusiasm the Thessalonians had. Paul's com- commending them for the way in which they're waiting up. Man, they keep looking all the time. They were looking so, so, uh, anxiously. Someone told them it's already happened. What? How did it happen? We didn't know about it. So Paul, Paul's commending them here. You guys are great. You have turned from idols. You're serving the living God. You're, you're waiting up for his son. And he wants to make sure that we know which son he's talking about. So he says, to wait for his son, where from? Heaven. He is from heaven. He is the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the ascended Savior. That's who he's talking about. He says, whom he raised from the dead. That is the father raised from the dead. So we're talking about somebody that's truly unique. Only one like that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're waiting for Jesus Christ. Even Jesus, in case you had gotten confused (laughs) on who that is raised from the dead, he lets us know it's even Jesus. And then he says this, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Brothers and sisters, you have been delivered. And I, I guess it's it's hard to say that in English. In the Greek, it's saying, who is delivering us from the wrath to come? In other words, he's constantly working in us. You, you have been delivered. It's, it's already a sure thing. But he's in the process even now of getting that all done. So I wanted to just go over with you a little bit. Why were they that way? Well, the first thing was they were confronted with the truth. So in your outline, you've got some blanks to fill in there. So if you want to take them, fill in those blanks. They were confronted with the truth. These Thessalonians were confronted with the truth. Matter of fact, go back to verse two. Let's just look at some of these verses here, where he says, "We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, your um, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God." For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you. He confronted them with the truth. And what was the truth? Well, let's go over some things that we know to be true. Number one, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul confronted him with that truth. Look over in Romans chapter one just for a minute. I want to just share with you how important this really is. I want you to know how great it is that we have been saved. Romans one and verse 10. No, I'm sorry. Verse three, chapter three. I'll get it right in a minute. Chapter three, 10. As it is written, he says, there is none righteous. How many does that make that are righteous? None. And remember, what does it take to be righteous? faith faith is what it takes to be righteous you act out what you are when you believed in Christ when you trust Christ when you trust God you're counted righteous and then you act on that okay he says there's not one he goes on to say there's none who understands there's none who seeks after God they've all turned aside they've become altogether unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their sw- their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. God is saying that's a problem. God is saying that this is the condition that people are in. Then he goes on to say, as if to to make sure we leave no one out, verse 23 of this same chapter, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a hard thing to come across. Paul's going to call on these people in Thessalonica to repent. But to repent of what? It's not just the actions they had been doing. These are idolaters. And it's not just the actions they are doing. He's calling them to repent of who they're believing who they're trusting, therein lies the problem. Let me go further with you, because I think you'll see this as we go through this. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. It always has been. It always will be. It was from the day of Adam and Eve, and it's always continued through that same way. Number three, They were confronted with the fact that we are all sinners fully worthy of death. But I'm going to ask you, what judgment, what's the standard of judgment that people use to determine whether they're sinners or not? God uses the standard of himself. But I'm thinking of several standards that I've heard used, and maybe you've heard them too. We are sinners, the way we judge whether we're sinners or not, we compare ourselves to others. We'll say, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I'm not like this. And they may, you may use some term like, uh, I haven't murdered anyone. I, I haven't uh, stolen anything from anyone. You may use all kinds of behavioral terms to talk about what you are. But we're going to compare ourselves to others. Another standard we use to judge ourselves is excusing ourselves as it is not that bad. So we'll look at, uh, someone calls to sin, well, I'm not perfect, we'll say, but I'm not all that bad either. I've run across plenty of people like that. I'm not all that bad either. You know, they look at it and they'll say, you know, I think God is so good, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. So they'll look at it and say, it's all of what we decide. I can't tell you the number of people that I've had funerals for who would have given you the shirt off their back. I've I have uh, to to my knowledge, I've never buried a sinner. Because everyone that I came across, everybody in the family tried to tell me every good thing about that person. So I don't think I ever buried a sinner. You understand what I'm saying? Because they were also good. And I'm asking, what was the standard of judgment? How do you come by what makes that standard? Or uh some have given us this, this statement. I'm hoping my good will outweigh the bad. I know I had some bad things, but I've been serving the Lord pretty good. I try to go to church all the time, try to give my money. I try to share, try to be compassionate with people and a lot of things that go on just like that. They're using that standard as for judgment. Um, but I know this. It'll always be behavior based. It'll always be a performance that's done. I'm, I'm outperforming, but I want you to know that God's judgment standard isn't about behavior. Now, just hang with me on this. It's not about behavior. There's a judgment that goes on before behavior, okay? So let me give you this in number four. The patient, long-suffering God of creation of all the living has already condemned us. He's already condemned us. Let's go back to John chapter three a moment. Turn your Bibles back to John chapter three you see a a teaching that was attributed to our Lord Jesus Christ? This is what he said. John chapter 3. Just two verses from having said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He says in verse 18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Kids, that's not behavior. You understand what I'm saying? He didn't say the one who, who lies or the one. He says the one who has not believed is already condemned. Are you beginning to see what the, what God's judgment standard is? It's not just about behavior, kids. It's about what we believe. It's about who we trust. It's about where our confidence lies. Let me, uh, uh, just just make this statement: having found us guilty of high treason against the kingdom of God, he's already condemned us. So would you write that word "high treason" down there? That's your blank for today. And the reason I chose high treason, listen to these definitions. High treason is the offense of attempting by overt acts to overthrow the government of the state to which the offender owes allegiance or to kill or personally injure the sovereign or the sovereign's family. You hear that definition? The offense of attempting to overt by by overt acts to overthrow the government of the state to which the offender owes allegiance or to kill or personally injure the sovereign or the sovereign's family. Another one. The crime of betraying one's country, especially by attempting to kill the sovereign or overthrow the government. It is the crime of murdering someone to whom the murderer owed allegiance, such as a master or husband. It's the offense of betraying one's own country by attempting to overthrow the government through waging war against the state or materially aiding its enemies. Let me break that down. God is saying our problem and our condemnation and the reason that he's angry with us is high treason, that we don't want him over us. And because we don't want him over us, it winds up with certain actions that are unrighteous actions. We're starting out not wanting him to be over us. We're starting out wanting to be our own ruler our own leader. Let me ask you this. Whose time are you living on? Now, don't give me the the, the answer because I'm going to ask you, how do you make your plans for doing things? Do you make your plans on what you're going to do based on if God says, if God wills, if God lets me, if whatever? Or do you just start out saying, we're going on vacation next week? Or we're going to take this weekend off? Or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We who? It's the sovereignty that we have believing that we really are in charge of everything. Therein lies God's judgment standard. You see, that's the biggie. Because if you don't pass that one, I know what your actions are going to be. You don't have any other kind of behavior except condemned behavior. Because you're not really a candidate For the kingdom in the first place. Everybody follow where I'm coming from? This is powerful kids to get a hold of because I think sometimes we kind of think because we've been nice people, we always were nice. Do you know what nice means? Stupid. I'm sorry. That's the etymology of the word nice. The kings wanted nice people in their courtyard or in their, in their court. Why? Because they would never speak up. They would never say anything that was not pretty, not happy. All he wanted was happy, nice people in his court. I fear that the church has tried to make nice people instead of the warriors of God we're supposed to be. That we're just content not to upset anybody not to say anything that would be unpleasant but to always be nice to always be stupid where i'm not having my own thoughts i'm not thinking i'm not in any way acknowledging the truth of anything i think more and more as i live and watching everything that's going on i can't that that old story of the emperor's new clothes just stays with me all the time the only only one that was willing to tell the emperor he wasn't wearing anything was a little boy who was just as honest as he could be about it. I don't see any clothes, he's not wearing anything. And then everybody else had to acknowledge that was true. How many things have we been told are true that are not true? Well, let me go further. Because God has found us guilty of treason, of high treason. I would just look back when the Romans chapter one for a moment. Well, Romans chapter one. I don't want to drag my point, but I, I want to make sure we're grasping that our judgment is not based on our standards, the works that we do. The sta- those are all after we, uh, uh someone was pointing out the other day that the great white throne judgment, when the books are open, it's about the deeds that you've done. And I, I said, yes, I understand it's about the deeds you've done, but who's being judged? Well, it's the people who are in Hades. That's right. How'd they get the Hades? It wasn't just by behavioral actions, kids, is because they rejected God. That's why that, that comes there. Look Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Because although they knew God, So in other words, they had an allegiance to him, right? They knew who he was. He's their creator. I mean, the verses before that are all about God's creation, about how everyone uh, 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 has an allegiance to Almighty God. He's our creator. He's everyone. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because they didn't acknowledge him as God, they knew he was there. That wasn't the problem. They even knew things about him. That wasn't the problem. It was that they didn't glorify him. They weren't thankful to him. They didn't want him over them. That's high treason. That's seeking to overthrow the government. As a matter of fact, what was it ultimately we did when we didn't like the one the government had sent to teach us who God is? We murdered that one. That's high treason. We wanted rid of God. What's the whole Tower of Babel about if it's not about wanting to get rid of God? That's the condemnation. That's where God is angry. We're supposed to be in a relationship with Him and we're anything but. So let me, let me just go with this. Remember, right in the middle of the page. Remember, God has made faith or trust the operating principle of the entire cosmos and age. Everything operates off of faith and trust. Everything. We're in a relationship with people, it's about trust. We're in a relationship with the earth, it's about trust. We're in a relationship with God, it's about trust. Everything is about trust. So the opposite of that isn't going to simply be actions taken, it is going to be distrust. So you would find this statement found in Romans 14, 23. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. You can write that out to the side there. I, I I want you to do that. So any act of distrust is sin. Any act of distrust is sin. So when I take God's word and I just simply don't want anything to do with it, I'm not reading it or not paying any attention to it, what's my problem? I don't trust this really to be the word of God. I don't trust that God will help me understand it. I may say things like, I, you know, I'm not much of a reader. Baloney. Then you can listen to it. There's all kinds of tools available for you. Friends, when we say that this book is not worth any of my time during the day to read, do you understand what we just said? I'm engaged in high treason. I'm proving that I'm a treasonous soul. I don't want to know what my God has to say. I don't want to know what my creator has to say. Any act of distrust is sin. That's what's going to make fear a sin. When the children of Israel were given opportunity to go into the promised land and they went in, they looked at it, and they saw all the fearful things that were in that land, when they came back, they wouldn't go in. What kept them from going in? Fear. Fear. And that that act of distrust is sin. And God said, therefore, then you're not going to go in. I won't let you into my promised land. Everybody see where I'm coming from? read everything in the scriptures you want, you'll, you'll find this, that everything begins with a distrust. Everything's supposed to begin with faith and trust, but it begins with a distrust when it's sin. I didn't trust God about this. I didn't trust God about this. All right? So number five, we are not waiting to see if we've been good enough to get into his kingdom. Why? We are not candidates for the kingdom to start with. We're not sitting around, with, you know. I'll hear people say, "Well, I know I'm, I'm going to die someday, and I just hope that what I've done has been good enough to, that God will accept that." Folks, that's that's not the standard. The standard said, "If if you're not even a candidate for the kingdom, if you're if you're not one trusting that, you're not a candidate for the kingdom." Number six, we are awaiting sentencing which has already been announced, just not executed. We are guilty, judged, condemned, and waiting for death, Hades, and hell. Everybody follow where I'm at here? Now, enter God into the picture. When by his grace, he speaks to a soul about this troubled situation that you're in, he speaks to you the truth and then continues to speak to you the truth as he says, your penalty has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ in full. Imagine the delivery that's involved with that when he's telling you, you have been paid for already, friend. We, until that point that we've been confronted with the truth, are death row prisoners and we can sit on death row and we can say about well i didn't kill as many people as that guy down there did man he was he was guilty of killing thousands of people millions of people i'm at least i'm not a hitler what if you're the one who character assassinated 20 people in your church What if you're the one by your name calling destroyed someone who might have been a strong and powerful person, but you told them they're so stupid they can't get up in the morning? At our heart, kids, is a great problem. It's a desire to be our own God. And we'll baptize that into a wonderful thing. Because I always only want good things. And since I always only want good things, I'm a good person, right? And by that judgment standard, we're missing totally what God has said about us. So we're awaiting sentencing, which has already been announced, just not executed. You're sitting on death row waiting for the day that they say, okay, It's June 1st, your day, and God's going to carry it out unless you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have accepted God's gift for you, you're waiting up for his son. You're waiting up to get out of this particular mess and get into the presence of the living God. The scriptures say, God Christ died for us and delivered us from the wrath which is to come. That's that's our First 1 Thessalonians 1.10 verse. He's delivered us from the wrath, wrath to come. He died for us. He paid for us. He's given us everlasting life. 1 John 4.14 says, God sent his son to be the savior of the world. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now listen, that's God. He is sending his son for people who don't trust him already. He's sending his son for people now who are living in a untrustworthy life, and he's sending his son to be their savior. Secondly, he he made it so simple, he said, Whoever believes in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, calling on the name of the Lord, will be saved from God's horrid judgment. Romans 10, 9, let's just go back and read. I know this is things that you know. I want to make sure that you know them, that they are in our hearts, and it's enough that it humbles us when we think, what did it take for me to be saved? Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. Here's what it says. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that is your understanding he's God come in the flesh, you're confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he's telling us this, it's a simple statement. If you believe that Jesus is the God come in the flesh and if you believe that God raised him from the dead, in order for God to raise him from the dead, what must happen first? He has to be dead, right? Now you ask the question, why'd he die? He died for my sins. If he died for your sins and God raised him from the dead, you call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's how simple he's made this whole thing. Now, imagine the anger of God when having made it so simple, someone says, I don't want it. Can you hear the high treason that's in that? Number three, Christ bore our sins, suffered and died, and paid for them. Second Corinthians 5.21 says he made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And again, First Peter 2.24 reminds us that Jesus bore our sins in his own body and he suffered and died. It's paid in full. Now, kids, here's where I want to go. That's not something we should take lightly. That's not something we should just say, "Yeah, I know all that," and move on. That's something we should remember every time, every day, every day we get up that Christ paid for my sins I didn't. Just because I was good yesterday doesn't mean that I earned salvation in any way at all. Just because I'm not doing bad things and I'm doing mostly good things, I earned salvation. We did not. We never earn our justification. So let me go on a step further with you. I hope you're seeing the, what our delivery was. Now I want to go into a little bit different part of it. We are in the age of God's mercy and grace between the resurrection and the coming wrath of God. That's why I call this point stuck in the middle with Christ. We're right in the middle of that now, between the resurrection and the coming wrath of God. And that coming wrath of God is the tribulation period spoken of in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And his promise to us was, You be delivered from the wrath to come. So, though we know that wrath is coming, you're going to be delivered from that wrath. That's what he promised you. Why? Because he turned that wrath on his own son in our behalf. What should have happened to us, God had happened to his son. All right, All right let's go. Letter D. We are waiting up for his coming that will deliver us from the coming wrath. We'll call that the pre-tribulation rapture because we think that happens before any of that begins. That, that tribulation period, we believe, is what's going to be the seven-year judgment of God. We believe the whole thing to be wrath, not simply the last three and a half years of it, but all seven years of that time. Why should God be angry? Why is he going to judge the world? Why does he have a time that he's already calling the coming wrath of God? Why does he have such a time? Why is that going to happen? Well, let's start this way. Number one, he's absolutely good, just, loving, and holy. By absolutely, we mean there isn't any impurity in it. Everything about him is pure goodness, pure justice, pure love, pure holiness. There is no admixture of any evil in it. There's never an evil intent in it. There's never an evil motivation in it. It's all pure all the time. Number two, he is faithful, loyal, and truthful in everything. This is about his character once again, kids, but his character is what causes him to act. And what's coming out of him, all the things that we appreciate and enjoy, all the things that are on these banners all around us, all those things are coming out of the fact that he's absolutely pure and good. Not just that he occasionally does some nice things. He's a confused, fouled God, but he, he really does mostly good things. Not at all. He's absolutely good, absolutely pure, absolutely faithful, absolutely true. And what comes out of him is always that. Because he's absolutely those things, Anything that's not that, can you see why that would turn him off? Can you see anything that's not like that, that would make him angry? That's not what he intended. That's not what he wanted. All right. They go on further. Number three, he has created all things and provides for them for their benefit and his glory. Those all things that he he made is us as well as everything around us here, guys. He made this all, and he makes all these systems work together. I, I never cease to be amazed at the number of things that we'll find out about what this plant that we thought was of no real value, we thought it was just a weed before, actually has some healing value in it. It has something. You make a tea or a tincture out of it, and it, it'll take care of sores. You put it on a rash. Um, there's a common weed that grows around here. grows around your yard, I imagine. Plantain. It's just a broad, flat leaf. But that broad, flat leaf, you'll often find growing around areas where you find such things as poison ivy. If you take the and leaf, put it in your mouth and chew it up, where it's got some of your juices with it and so forth, and you place it on a rash that you got from poison ivy or a rash that you got on a bee sting or a bite, it'll start taking care of the pain in that. It'll start bringing some healing in it. That's a common common weed that you'd find all around in just about everybody's yard. It's all over the place. It's all over the place around here. Uh, one day I <laughs> I was want to help the students see what this was. See, so uh, one one kid got a, a mosquito bite or something like that. Well, I just reached down and grabbed a plantain leaf and I start chewing the thing up. Well, second I pulled it out of my mouth. The kid said, oh, I'd rather have the mosquito bite. No. And everybody was grossed out that it came out of my mouth. You're going to put it on there. I said, then you chew it up. They said, no way am I chewing up grass. I said, that's, oh, well, never mind. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying this, because all the things that work together are amazing. Just just the water that's come down here recently, what that has done. Man, it's amazing what it. Uh, we had asparagus we have an asparagus patch and that asparagus i was out to i don't know monday or this week or something like that and i saw that some little little guys starting to come up after the rain i went back out and thought i better get this pretty quick some of it was standing up this tall i think i could have stood there and watched it grow By all the lightning and all the thunder that went on there, that lightning was just charging up the water that God brings down on the earth, and that water does something totally special. And do you know he takes delight in that, kids? He enjoys watering his earth because he enjoys what you're going to benefit from it. He enjoys what his cattle are going to benefit from it. He enjoys doing what he's That's why he could stop on that day, rest, and say, wow, very good. Very good. Now, imagine the midst of all that, a people whose response to him reminds me of my bird feeder at home. I found Rural King has a good price on bird seed. So I pick up a big package of bird seed, and I pour it in my feeder, and I mix it all around. I get mealworm, and I get nut fruit and nut blend. I get all kinds of things, and I mix it all together there. I take it out there, and I put it in. And Oh, man, the birds are on it like that. Matter of fact, I've got some chickadees that let me know when I have not fed the feeder. I've got hummingbirds that share with me when I've not filled the feeder. Uh, when you have hummingbirds that will come and stand over here and go, oh, God, I'll get it, I'll get it. But did you know that after I feel that, and after I walk back in the house just for a moment, and I look back out the door and I see all the birds there, if I open that door, they run for me so fast it's not even funny. And you know, not one cardinal, not one cardinal, has ever said, "Thank you, Doug." That was so thoughtful. My wife and I are really enjoying the sunflowers. Not one, even Starling, has said any grateful word at all. But instead, run from me just as soon as they can. And as they're running, declare to everybody else, run! He's out! He's out! Run! Run for your lives! And I'm the one filling that thing. And I looked at that one day and thought, isn't that just the way we do him? He's filling the thing. And he takes delight in watching us eat and enjoy. And our response to him? You might think he would expect that we would trust, love, and have gratitude. What's he looking for? He's looking for Mary's not Martha's he's looking for Abel's not Cain's he's looking for Abraham's not lots instead he receives from us distrust rejection violence pride arrogance entitled behavior in other words he owes us Uh, you know he he knows who we are and he owes uh, he knows that I want to be happy and he ought to be making me happy we, he gets rebellion and false worship of idols and other gods. Number six, we reject his prophets, his word, his authority, even murder his only son. Why is he angry? Why would you think? Why would you think he would create something that, well, I don't I, I want to say that, that's, that's too heavy. The fact is he created us to be with him. He created us to respond to him in a positive way. But instead, for centuries, I'll start in our timeline all the way back here. Straightforward people rejecting 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 we're we're even going to read, we've already read at least two or three times in the book of revelation where people in spite of God's goodness in spite of all the warnings that were coming in spite of all the the rockets across the bow were still unwilling to repent and that repentance is not just about their deeds kids it's repentant about who they believed was God How does God demonstrate his anger? Well, let's say, first of all, patiently. He's long-suffering, and he puts up with a lot of our crude, rude treason while continuing to provide graciously and generously. In mercy, he resists us. That's one of the big things about Romans chapter one. He's, he's resisting our wickedness, our, our tendency to go to the wickedness. He resists it. But there comes a point when we push against him so much that he backs off and stops resisting as he steps back. He gives us over to the things we wanted to do ourselves. And he defines that as his wrath. That's his wrath. And he demonstrates his anger, and that one you can put in uh, number three in your outline under letter B. You can put there, by allowing us to act on our own lusts and live with the consequences. Repentance is granted often. I'm going to go back to number one in the outline. First, patiently, he's long-suffering, puts up with a lot of our crude, rude treason while continuing to provide graciously and generously. He resists us. He does it with acts of pain, disease, loss, conquest, disaster, subservience. Whole nations have lost their countries because of a failure to receive and accept who he is. Sometimes it's pandemics. Certainly the the Black Death killed a lot of Europe, just destroyed it. And there have been plenty of places all across the world where some disease has taken people out, some pandemic, some epidemic of some sort. He's used those things. He uses, can I say, climate change. He uses climate change in order to stop people from thinking they're going on. Do you Do you realize all the things that are happening with us right now? Let's just review for a moment what we know is going on. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, two important countries in the whole agricultural scheme of the world, We're not going to get the wheat out of Ukraine we were going to get. We're not going to get the wheat out of Russia we were going to get. We're not going to get the fertilizer out of those two countries, which were big proponents in that, so that Africa is not going to have the the fertilizer it needs because its soil won't produce enough for its own people. That means somebody's going to be looking for some wheat. Somebody's going to be looking for food all over the place. Then, when you add to the fact that you've got people who are doing regulatory things that are keeping us from producing some things that we need to have, by the time you add all those multiple factors together, kids, we're about to face a very tough time. That's God's wrath. When God allows us to continue doing the things that we want to do and for us to live with the consequences, when God changes the weather patterns in just such a way that the rain doesn't come that was supposed to come, there have been several droughts that have cost a lot of things for this world. Kids, we're in a difficult situation, largely because we will not acknowledge that God is God. We're not. And that's why the wrath of God is coming. That's why it will be well deserved. So the book of Revelation is number four in your outline there, punishing finality with no thought of recovery. By the time you get to the book of Revelation, it's not just pouring out wrath. It's wrath with no chance of recovery. He uses a special word right there. It's usually the word thumos and the word uh, colossus. Colossus is that which says, I'm not interested in your recovery. I'm not interested in you turning over a new leaf and starting over. We, we have this, we discipline our children in the hope that they'll change their mind. We discipline our children so they'll come back and do the right thing. We punish people when we don't care whether they do the right thing or not. Now it's retribution the tribulation is retribution it's not looking for recovery because recovery isn't going to come they're not willing to be recovered so as you look at it today friend let's let's just get it right down on the on the ground level some will say i don't think it's right to scare people into heaven i do i do in the same way that I think it's right to tell people when a tornado's coming. When, when I look out and I can see the devastation, uh, uh, boy, some of the things that you've seen, I, I don't know how people take videos on some of those situations, but boy, I've seen some tornadoes going through where they're, they're, they're crying. Saw one last night where a lady was pulling her car into a parking lot just as a tornado was going over that parking lot. She was terrified. You know what? i bet you don't have to tell her a second time that when a tornado's coming, it's good to get in a safe place. Well, let me just say this. Kids, something far worse than a tornado's coming. This is eternal destruction. It's on its way. And it's coming not because you can compare yourself to so-and-so. I'm better than the hypocrites at church. Great, that's wonderful, but I won't do a thing for you. I'm better than this one. I'm better than that. Well, I don't think I've done that bad. Kids, that's not what God's judgment standard is. Quit using that. God's judgment standard is, are you trusting me and me only? Am the am I the only God there is? Are you submitting to me? I know how to take care of you. I know how to do right by you. As long as you're going to hold on to your own sovereignty, friend, you'll get exactly what you're asking for. Hell is a place to live without God. You didn't want him now. You can't have him then. Please, in the name of Jesus Christ, don't fool yourself. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. The wrath of God is coming. Father, thank you so much that the the grace of God is here right now. We know the wrath of God is coming. We see the wrath of God is coming. We ask, Father, in the name of Jesus that you'll open all our eyes, that we might see the great danger and great peril we're in, that we might turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, not simply as a nicety, not simply as one of those wonderful things you do to be a part of a culture, but as a real rescue of their own lives. And I thank you and I praise you for what you will do. Save lives today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's Edgemont Bible Church, all one dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.